Her Beauty in the Moonlight by Brilliant Lady Chapter 7 You don't really care. What's this? Draco said, waving the gilt-edged card at her disbelievingly. He'd shown up at her office at the Ministry at the end of the day with a gift of flowers to disguise the real object of his visit, a puzzled complaint, from her co-workers. A wedding invitation, obviously. You're my plus one. I'm not in the bridal party anymore. I couldn't stomach standing up there in support of their sham of a marriage, but I'm still going as a guest, and I'd like you to go too. Step six in my plan. Potter and the youngest Weasley spawn. Must I? Yes, please. Very well. I suppose it is the event of the season. Any objections to intimidating the hoi polloi with a conspicuous show of wealth in formal robes? It sounded fine to her. Not at all. Go for it. I'll be dressing up to make him rabidly angry about my now unattainable beauty. Draco looked thoughtfully at her. I'll pay for new robes for you, and I'll ask Mother about loaning you some of the Malfoy jewels. What? Your dresses on our dates were quite acceptable. Don't misunderstand me there. You looked lovely in your robes, even if the shoes weren't quite a match. But if you want to intimidate, impress, and make a show of how happy we are together in front of your ex, custom-made, flattering, expensive robes will do that much better than a robe or dress everyone has already seen you wear to another event. The Malfoy family jewels will be the icing on the cake. Weasley probably won't even recognise them, but others will, and will no doubt gossip about it. This is payback for me asking you to wear muggle suit, isn't it? That is just a delightful bonus, he smirked. Don't worry about the cost. Just get the best available. It's my treat and thanks for our delightful date at the opera. I'll set up an appointment with Twilfoot and Tattings. Mother might go with you. I'll sand her out for you. Joy, she said in a voice dripping with sarcasm. Be nice. She doesn't have much to fill her days with since the war. Some families snub her because she supported the Dark Lord. Others snub her because she turned on him. If she's willing to make a rare trip out of the house to help you pick out a robe, I'd appreciate it if you'd show a little bit of bloody courtesy about it for Merlin's sake, he said with increasing snippiness. All right, I'll do it for her sake, she promised. She just assumed Narcissa wouldn't want to slum it out in public with a mudblood. She'd never thought much about the families of those who'd been on the other side of the wall or cared about their social lives. Life had been easier when things were more black and white. She shooed him out after their discussion so that she could wrap up a few last bits of work before finishing for the day. With the Werewolf Fair Employment Act passed, with several pure-blood members of the Wizengamot unexpectedly supporting it to much to her delight, it was time to move on to other important projects, such as securing more unpopulated waterways for mermaids in habitation, and laws to protect their lives and territories. Later that evening at home, Hermione realised something she'd missed in the conversation. She'd accidentally called Harry and Ginny's wedding a sham, and Draco hadn't blinked an eye at her turn of phrase. She knew she should leave it alone, but it nagged her like a sore tooth. He couldn't have missed it. She'd also been talking about not being in the bridal party, and he didn't even question that. He was too smart to miss it, and surely too curious to just leave such a thing alone. Eventually, she gave in to the pressure of thoughts whirling around in her head and popped through the flue to visit him, ostensibly to 
join the Malfoys for dinner and to discuss shopping plans with Narcissa. After the social niceties of greetings were done, she covertly asked Draco if they could go somewhere private to talk before dinner. Well, well, it seems an auspicious day for me today, he said with a grin and led her to his room. We can't be long, of course, or Mother will worry. His bedroom was very luxurious, with a carved four-poster bed hung with heavy green velvet curtains. A brass-bound wooden chest with a curved top, looking like a pirate treasure chest at the foot of his bed. Two dark-stained oak bookcases rammed full of leather-bound books, and a selection of dragon figures in various metals and ceramics adorning the tops of the shelves. Animated tapestries made the plain white walls more interesting, with embroidered dragons swooping through clouded skies and gliding over stormy seas. A portrait landscape of a magical wood and tiny fairies flitting to and fro, and shy unicorns peeking out from behind the trees. Draco closed the door behind them as they entered. So I was wondering, Hermione started, nervously biting her lip. She glanced at him, then away, embarrassed, not knowing where to start. Hmm? I have been too, murmured Draco, and stepped forward to slide his arms smoothly around her waist, pulling her into his lean body and kissing her softly. What are you doing? she gasped, pulling her lips away from his. He tilted his head quizzically at her. Kissing you, obviously, he said, and leaned in again to kiss her again, afterwards delicately trailing kisses on her sensitive neck. His lips mouthed at her skin with just a hint of teeth, not enough to hurt or leave a mark, and it sent shivers down her spine. Her breath came faster, and she let out an involuntary moan as his hands cupped her buttocks while his mouth nibbled at her neck. But there's no one to see us. This is just pretend, remember? she murmured. But we're not actually in a relationship. He pulled his head away from the patterns he was tracing on her neck with his tongue, and his grey eyes gazed seriously into her own from inches away. It would have felt intimate even without his hands kneading her buttocks while they spoke, or the evidence of his arousal pressing firmly against her lower belly. Oh, yes, of course, he said matter-of-factly. But just because it won't last doesn't mean we can't have a bit of fun, don't you think? She bit her lip as she thought about it. Soft strands of Draco's pearl-blonde hair brushed against her face as he leaned in to kiss and nibble at her ear while she thought. The soft press of his wet tongue pushing inside her ear brought a shiver to her body that was decidedly not helping her concentrate. She was attracted to him, and why not? Didn't she deserve a little fun? He might be a bit of an arrogant prat whose family would disown her if she was really out to catch him for marriage but he was very handsome, Pratt. Surely it wouldn't do any harm if their play-acting had a bit of added realism. Just so long as we both remember it's going to end soon, she warned breathlessly, that this doesn't mean anything. Lust isn't the same thing as love. Of course, he agreed with an amicable smile, drawing back to look into her eyes again. We both know that it can't go anywhere and I won't risk getting you pregnant and sully both our reputations in the process, but there are still many other things we can do. Just not actual sex. Astoria's rule, and mine. You understand, I hope. She took a step back from him and reached behind her to peel his hands off her bottom, making him sigh with disappointment. But when Hermione lifted them up and placed them on her breast with a coy smile, he let out a deep groan of appreciation and started squeezing them gently, 
She sighed happily with little breathy moans as he started toyking at her nipples through the rough silk fabric of her robe. She closed her eyes, lost in the sensations washing through her body. It had been too long. Her nipples stiffened under the attention into hard peaks, and she arched her back needily, pressing her breasts into his hands. You have beautiful breasts, Draco purred, and she opened her eyes to see him watching her intently. It made her suddenly more shy. Should she really be doing this? With someone she once hated? But he wasn't a child any longer, parroting his father's opinions. You look like you're thinking too much, Draco chided, and no biting your lip. That's my job. He leant in close, one hand moving to cup the back of her head gently as he kissed her. The first few kisses were soft and gentle. Then they became hungrier, more demanding. His tongue pressed inside her mouth and she let him inside, kissing him back with increasing passion. He nipped gently at her bottom lip with his teeth, which made her laugh. You vampire, she teased. No doubt it will be my neck next. Well, you have such a tasty and responsive neck, he teased. So how can I resist? With a sudden wicked growl, he buried his face in her neck, nipping gently and sucking at the skin. It made her heart skip a beat, and made her gasp with a sudden shock of pleasure. Oh, yes, she murmured. But only for Mark. She tilted her head back to give him better access. Her hands resting around his waist, crept slowly down his body to push over his buttocks, evoking an irreparable noise of pleasure from Draco. She tugged at his white linen shirt, where it was tucked snugly into his pants, pulling it free, and her hands dove eagerly underneath the cloth to glide up the bare skin of his back. Draco clearly decided that turnaround was fair play, and he tried to tug the front of her robe down to expose her breasts without success, as it fitted quite snugly around the top half of her body, then flared out. He cursed impatiently as his hands roved over her back for a while before he gave up and stepped back with his hands on his hips to indirectly ask for help. Where are the laces? This is ridiculous. How do you even get into this? A cutting charm and a reparo? He huffed. I know the new fashion for witches is for tight robes and they're delightful to look at, but there must be some consideration for practicality. Hermione giggled. There's a zip. Madame Malkin's been experimenting with some muggle tailoring techniques. She turned her back to him and reached behind her and pulled the zip slowly down while he watched curiously. Huh. I still don't understand how it works, but I'm impressed. You can reverse it, surely? The mood was still intimate, but the romantic mood was rather lost when he played curiously with the zipper on the back of her robe, tugging it up and down and peering at how the teeth fitted together and she got a little nervous again. I don't know. It's a bit fast, she said in certainty, when he encouraged her to shimmy out of the robe. He hesitated a moment before saying, Then we'll go slower. He wrapped his arms around her as he zipped her robe back up, and she smiled with relief in his embrace. They returned to making out with more gentleness than passion this time, kissing in a leisurely and exploratory fashion, hands roaming cautiously over each other. He learnt that she loved her neck and ears being paid attention to, but didn't like him biting her lip. Her hands roamed under his shirt and found the skin on his back soft and smooth under her fingertips, 
and she discovered that he was ticklish around his ribs, eliciting some surprisingly deep chuckles. Hermione had just tentatively stroked a hand across the front of his pants while he kneaded her covered breasts when the chiming sound of a bell rang through the room, and Draco cursed quietly as he pulled away from her, leaving her panting as she swayed towards him. The dinner bell. We have to go, or Mother will come looking for us. Of course. Curse that bell. Hermione straightened up her dress and smoothed her hair down as best she could, but it was a lost cause. At least messy hair would look quite normal on her. She had permanent bedhead, and less liberal amounts of hair products or charms were applied. It started out neat at the beginning of her work day, but by the evening the charms had long since worn off, and she never bothered to reapply them when she was home. Draco had turned away from her to tuck in his shirt, and was clearly trying to get his rebellious body under control before venturing out of his room. Um, I actually... I had a question about Ginny, she asked tentatively. What? What about her? He said, sounding very surprised by her question. You didn't seem surprised that I've had a falling out with her, and won't be in the wedding party. Of course not, he said matter-of-factly. Ten points to Gryffindor for the choice of conversational topic, by the way. Thinking of the Weaselette is certainly helping my erection go down very quickly. Hermione let out a surprised laugh. Still facing away from her, Draco said confidently, Obviously she's used a love potion on Potter at some stage, am I right? I really couldn't say, she hedged. I don't think she has. You don't need to say. It's patently obvious from the hatred in your voice when you talk about her. You haven't had any obvious falling out. The papers would be all over that. The timing is the same as you leaving the weasel. It could just be it her being angry about that, but I think there's too much venom for it to be her simply fighting with you about some slandering of her brother. It's something more personal, so it must be her dosing Potter, and your perivocation just now proves I'm right. She'd promised Harry she wouldn't say anything. We just had a fight over bridesmaids' dresses. It got nasty, that's all it was. Draco turned around at last, and the scepticism on his face was obvious. Mm-hmm. You'll have to practice your lines more if you want to fool people more observant than your average Hufflepuff, you know. Well, let's shelve that topic for now. Shall I escort you down to dinner? He tucked a stray lock of her hair behind her ear and offered his arm. She placed her hand in the crook of his arm and was escorted down to enjoy a quiet family dinner with the Malfoys. The staff at Twilfit and Tattings were overjoyed to have Hermione patronise their store during their lunchtime break from work, but looked down their nose at Narcissa, who kept a stiff upper lip about it all, but was clearly not enjoying herself. While Hermione was in the changing room behind a thick velvet curtain, trying on a stunning and expensive acromantula silk robe, edged with silver embroidery and dripping with crystal beads, she overheard the staff sneering quiet comments to Narcissa. I'm not sure we'll have anything to suit you, said one clerk, a woman in her twenties with carefully curled hair and too much makeup. We don't cater much to the elderly here. Now, now, Estrella, tutted the older lady who worked there and seemed to be in charge. Her money is as good as anyone else's. Thank you, said Narcissa, so softly that Hermione barely heard it, as she stood frozen in the changing room, eavesdropping intently. 
After all, continued the older lady with a quiet viciousness, you know who certainly appreciated the depths of the Malfoy coffers, didn't he? I didn't. She doesn't need you or your nasty Death Eater son, interrupted the older woman. Don't you have a luncheon to get to elsewhere? said Estrella. Hermione swept back the curtain with a clatter of wooden curtain rings, and the two women jumped back guiltily away from Narcissa, whom they had been standing over. Hermione saw the younger one slip her wand back into her pocket. Narcissa was just sitting there quietly in an armchair, head hung slightly low and a stiff, careful expression on her face. "'Is there some problem here?' Hermione asked coolly. "'Do you have an issue with someone patronising your store who's a hero of the war? Are you angry at your Dark Lord's fall?' We'd be more than happy to take our business elsewhere, if that's the case. I can get my robe for Harry Potter's wedding at some other store. The lady hurried towards her with an anxious fluttering of her manicured hands. Oh no, no, Miss Granger, we're immensely grateful for what you did in the war. You helped save us all. Please don't think we sided with him, pleaded the younger one. We're ever so grateful to you, honestly. My brother was arrested during the war. They snapped his wand, but at least they let him go afterwards. I don't know what might have happened if you know who had actually won. I wasn't speaking of myself, she said, still with a frosty tone of her voice. I was speaking of my beloved mother, Mrs Narcissa Malfoy. She too is a hero of the war. The betrayer of Lord Voldemort. No, don't flinch. And saviour of Harry Potter. Without her, Harry would be dead, and the wizarding world would still be under Lord Voldemort's rule. Narcissa raised her head wonderingly at Hermione's words. The two ladies gaped a little before recovering. She didn't really do much, said Estrella, hesitantly. And you did. Lie to the Dark Lord's face, did you? Risk your life to save your brother, perhaps? No, we just hid. The younger woman looked ashamed and like she might burst into tears at any moment. Hermione strode over to her and held her hands, looking in her eyes. And there's no shame in that. That's what most people did if they had any sense. They hid, they left the country. That was smart and I don't blame you for it. Just remember, some people didn't have the chance. Like the Malfoys, with Lord Voldemort hovering over the lot of them, ready to kill one family member at any moment if another didn't do exactly what he said. The young woman sniffed unhappily. Thank you. That means a lot, coming from you. I know I could have done more, but I was so scared. Shit's all right. But how can you date a Malfoy? The older woman asked disbelievingly. No matter what their actions were at the end of the war, you can't deny the whole family is dark. And that boy Draco took the dark mark too. Willingly. He's a Death Eater. How can you stand to touch him? He's not perfect. Perhaps no one is. He became a better person. Would you want to be judged for your whole life for what you did at 16? He regretted it quickly. He took it more to save his family than out of belief of the cause. Did you know that when Harry, Ron and I were caught and taken to Malfoy Manor, he lied for us? He was asked to identify us and he said he wasn't sure. It might not be us. Claimed not to recognise Harry Potter. He and Narcissa stalled, even with her mad sister standing right there, ready to torture us, and a hand over to us to Voldemort. 
six years together at Hogwarts and you think he didn't know who we were? He did what little he could. It wasn't much, but he tried. And he treats me with more respect and consideration than that rapist Weasley ever did, who drugged me to the eyeballs with love potions until I could refuse him nothing. The woman looked embarrassed. I'm sorry, I didn't know about what the Malfoys did. Perhaps more people should know, and it's not me you need to apologise to. At a signalling nod from the elder, the two ladies curtsied to Narcissa. I do apologise, Mrs Malfoy. I beg your forgiveness for our rudeness and the misunderstanding, and I hope you know that you are in fact always welcome at Twilbit and Tatting's. A slow smile dawned on her face. Thank you, I appreciate that. They stayed, and Hermione was eventually coaxed into ordering a horrifyingly expensive concoction of the finest acromantula pearl yellow silk, embroidered with seed pearls and real gold thread. From the quietly pleased expression on their sister's face, the price, while high, was perhaps not unreasonable, however. Hermione quietly slipped the staff an extra ten galleons as a tip. I would not be adverse to the daily profit, or which weekly hearing about what we discussed today, if you are inclined to make it better known what the Malfoys did during the war, to the light's benefit, and my forgiveness of their less palatable actions, I would appreciate that. Certainly, Miss Granger, and again, my most heartfelt apologies. Narcissa evidently wasn't the type to gush in public, but she gave Hermione a farewell hug to go along with her quiet whispering thanks before she apparated home. Clearly, she was more forthcoming in the bosom of her own family, however. There was a delivery of a massive bunch of rare orchids that Hermione found waiting at her door when she returned home that evening after work, with a gilt-edged card from Draco that read, Thank you so much. Mother is still smiling again, and I won't stop talking about what you did. With my love and gratitude always, Draco. Chapter 8. A Victory March Susan Bones knocked on Hermione's office door in the Ministry. Hermione, are you ready to get lunch? Just finishing up now, she called out, scribbling a last note and sending it flying off through the Ministry with a quick charm. Good work on the Werewolf Fair Employment Act, Susan said as Hermione grabbed her bag and came to the hall. Thank you, I'm so pleased it got through at last. Susan laughed. At last? It took under a year. That's amazing. Everyone says so. And your house elf regulations only the year before that. And I hear you're working on some projects to do with mermaids now? <laughs> yes, it's so exciting. I've already gotten the Black Lake officially recognised as protected habitat and secured agreement to have a water filtration charm installed on all the sewage outlets from Hogwarts, she chattered excitedly. That's marvellous. You know, word is that the Ministry is keeping a close eye on your work lately and is very impressed, Susan said as they entered the cafeteria. Oh, Kingsley is a softie for any of us lot from the war, she said humbly. I'm not doing anything special. And how's your work in the Accidental Magical Reversal Squad going? Very well, thanks. Busy time. Lots of young kids manifesting some Accidental Magic this month. It's especially tricky when it's a muggle-born, of course. I've had to call in the Obliviators a couple of times. I really think early intervention will be a formal contact to the Ministry would be better in some of these cases. 
The two of them grabbed a plate of sandwiches, a piece of fruit and some biscuits from the ministry cafeteria and sat down at one of the whitewashed wooden tables to share lunch and chat. Did you hear the news about your ex? Susan asked, leaning in close to whisper confidentially. Ron's been fired from the Aura programme, even though he was so close to finishing his apprenticeship and being a full Aura. Officially it's because he'd rather go and work in his brother's joke shop, but a little owl told me that it's because of conduct unbecoming of an Aura, and that he was strongly encouraged to leave with his dignity intact rather than be fired. Susan, I think I'm in love! With Draco? <laughs> no, with you! Hermione said with a laugh. My goodness, this is the best news I've heard in a long while. Well, thank you so much, you wonderful queen of gossip. Susan giggled happily. Well, thank you, my darling, but I'm afraid I'll have to spurn your affections, as I have a date on Saturday with Carl Hopkins. Oh, do tell me the juicy details, Hermione said eagerly. And is he any relation to Wayne Hopkins? His cousin. Carl was a year ahead of us at Hogwarts. He's working with the Unspeakables, and he's very handsome. Wow, good luck. Thank you. I haven't had a date for over a year, so fingers crossed it goes well. Any tips? You thawed the ice prince after all. Low-cut dress? Hermione suggested with a straight face, before breaking into infectious giggles that Susan joined in with. They gossiped for a little while about their respective dates, in between bites of food. Hermione found it nice to have a female friend. They'd never really bonded at Hogwarts due to being in different houses, but the DA and the war had drawn them together, and when they both started working at the Ministry at the same time, they found themselves sticking together a lot. Two lonely, bright young women without their families around to support their ambitions. Well, I've got to get back to work, Susan said eventually, pushing her chair back and with a scrape and standing up. See you at Ginny's hen night this evening? Hermione hesitated. Well, no, I don't think I'll be able to make it, actually. Why ever not? I think I'm coming down with something. I've been quite ill this morning, she lied. You look well, Susan said doubtfully. You know me, Hermione said guiltily. I'm just soldiering through, dosed up with a lot of healing potions. I think when they wear off, I'm going to crash badly. Oh, said Susan worriedly, taking a cautious step away from her. Nothing infectious, I hope. I hope not. Some vomiting, a bit of fever. I've taken a fever-reducing potion for that. Pepper up for the tiredness. Maybe you should take the afternoon off, just in case. You wouldn't want to make anyone else sick. And look after yourself. Go to bed and rest up. Trapped in her own lie, Hermione conceded with a nod. I think you're right, I really should. I can take a bit of work home with me after all. Work? No, Susan said sternly. You should catch up on some of that reading you say you never have time for any more. The afternoon in bed with no work, a book to read and a mug of hot cocoa. All right, Susan, you've twisted my arm and I have no choice but to comply, Hermione said with a laugh. Harry hadn't wanted a stag's night. He said he didn't see the point of it, and Ginny certainly didn't mind him skipping that particular tradition. So since Hermione knew he'd be home alone that evening, she invited him to flew over and visit her for a bit of a catch-up. Over a simple pasta dinner, they caught up on each other's lives and carefully pried into the other's love life with the best tactfulness a couple of Gryffindors could manage. Harry carefully ascertained that Draco was treating her right and nagged her into taking a love potion antidote in front of him, just in case. He apologised afterwards when she still insisted she was happy with Draco.
I just had to be sure. She patted his hand. I understand. I did tell you I've been taking them occasionally already. He hung his head. I know you said that before, but what if they weren't real antidotes? What if you'd swapped them out for fakes? I was just nervous. It's all right, I get it. But I really do want to date Draco. He can be a snarky git, but he's also amusing and charming and gives great presents, she said, waving with a smile at the vase full of only slightly wilted orchids still on her desk. He's seriously thinking about Muggle Opera too, you know. You should have seen him there. It was like a revelation for him that Muggles actually aren't all uncultured barbarians. So long as he's treating you well and you're genuinely happy. It just seems so fast after leaving Ron. Are you sure he's serious? I'd hate to see you hurt again. Harry looked so worried for her. It warmed her heart. I don't know how serious it is. It was a rebound relationship after all, I admit it. If it goes somewhere, great. If not, well, it's been a lot of fun while it lasted. I admit I talk it up for the paper a bit, but we really are going well. It's fun. I just want to see you happy. I am. I am happy. Happier than I've been in a long while, I think. He values me for who I am, not who he wants me to take me into, she said. And as she spoke, she realised how true it was. Ron was never like that. He liked me despite the kind of person I am. Draco's the opposite. He accepts me. The most he seems inclined to do is nag me into wearing fancier clothes, and I can live with that. You should see the dress robes I've got for your wedding. They're gorgeous. Harry smiled. I'm glad. I hope it works out then. And I haven't seen the robes yet. Keep them a surprise. But I read a description of your outfit already. Your dressmaker was in an article in Which Weekly this week. <laughs> yes, I know, Hermione said smugly. I noticed you weren't quoted saying anything about his father. Well, Lucius is an enormous racist prat who would have been delighted if the doctor had won. But he's trying to change. It's all one can hope for, really. Rehabilitation minus the prison is working well in his case, as well as can be realistically expected anyway. Well, he's supporting his son dating a mudblood. That's a big change, said Harry. You're not the first to remark on it, said Hermione. Her turn to quiz him now, she decided. Harry? Yes? Can I ask you something? He sighed and answered the question that she hadn't yet asked, but he guessed she wanted to. I'm still marrying Ginny. I want a family, Hermione. Yes, I figured that. I just want to know how you're feeling about it all. Are you angry with her? Harry propped an elbow on the table. Narcissa would be appalled, thought Hermione, and leant his chin in his hand. Yes and no. It changes from day to day. Do you want to know who I'm really angry with? My father. Really? Yes. I'm furiously angry with him. How dare he trick my mother into dating him, and entrap her into marriage and still keep dosing her. He enslaved her, like you were enslaved. And now here I am, a child of a potion-laced liaison, unable to love like everyone says a man should be able to love. Everyone except Snape used to talk about my dad like he was a great hero. Meanwhile, these days, I find sometimes I feel like applauding Voldemort for killing him and setting my mother free, however briefly. Oh, Harry she said, tears in her eyes. You mustn't tell anyone. Of course I won't. She pushed back her chair and walked around to his side of the tiny table, pulling him into a hug. I'm so sorry. What hurts most, 
is that I'll never know for sure what happened. Everyone I could ask who's known the truth is dead now. All Dad's friends are gone too. What if he stopped the potion after the wedding and she threatened to leave, but he drugged her again? I want to know, but I don't know if I could bear knowing the truth. I've been thinking about looking for the resurrection stone so I can ask him. Is that wrong, do you think? Whatever you want to do, I'll support you, Harry, she vowed with fierce determination. And it was at that moment, while she was holding Harry in her arms and staring into his eyes, that the flu flared a bright green as Draco Malfoy ducked through the fireplace into her flat, carrying a picnic basket. Hermione, how are you doing? Draco said, trading off as he saw her embracing Harry as he sat at her table, the remains of a candlelit dinner in front of the two of them. Draco, what are you doing here? she said, letting Harry go. I heard you were sick, he said accusingly. Confined to bed, you were so ill with fever. I bought you some soup and potions. But here you are, having a private dinner with Harry Potter. He glared angrily at Harry, who grinned to see him so jealous. Is there something I should know here, Hermione? Draco asked bitterly. Some minor detail you've neglected to tell me. Perhaps there's another reason you're upset that Harry is marrying Ginny. Am I really just a tool to make him jealous and ready to commit to you? No, no, Draco, we're just friends, honestly. It doesn't look like it. Meeting him secretly like this with his fiancée is a way celebrating her upcoming nuptials, he accused. I'm not in love with Harry, she stated firmly. We're just friends. And he's not in love with you, Draco asked suspiciously. There's no elopement being planned. Oh, I do love her, and she wants me to run away with her and forget all about Ginny. Harry said with a teasing smile. Harry, you're not helping and it's not funny, she yelled, jaw gaping with disbelief. Draco scowled at the two of them. Harry relented. I care for her like a sister, Draco. That's all. We're just friends. I was just teasing you. I wanted to see if you were serious about her. It's good to see that you are. Draco eyed him warily. So you don't want to date her? Marry her? You'll say that to her face? Perhaps I'd marry if I wasn't marrying Ginny, if she'd have me. She's my best friend. It might be nice, but she deserves better than me. You're definitely the better man for her. Draco's eyes widened in surprise. I'm the better man? Harry nodded decisively. Yes, you make her happy. Happier than I could. Certainly much happier than she was with Ron. Look at you, bringing her soup, sending her flowers, taking her out on dates and introducing her to your family. She blushes and smiles when she talks about you. I don't blush, and I think that's fantastic. She deserves happiness. She deserves love. And I wouldn't ever stand in the way of the dawn of true love, no matter who it's with. Really? You don't object to us being together? Draco asked. Not at all. I congratulate you on your good sense of choosing her. Draco's eyes were narrowed as he strode over to Hermione and pulled her into his arms and dipped her for a kiss. She melted into it instantly. He really was an exceptional kisser. When they straightened up, she found Draco was watching Harry's reaction, not hers. See? Nothing. I don't mind you're with her, I swear, Harry said with a slightly sad smile. I wish you two nothing but the best, Draco. Hermione and I are nothing but two old friends enjoying a private dinner. And the hug? 
he asked, still holding Hermione tightly around the waist. Just a friendly, reassuring hug. We were discussing something upsetting, and the topic is none of your business, Harry said firmly. If you kiss me again while watching somebody else, male or female, I will slap you, Draco Malfoy, Hermione warned. Slap if you're lucky, punch if you're not, and you know I have a mean right hook. He looked into her eyes. I'm sorry, he said shamefacedly. I was just concerned. You were jealous, but there's nothing to be jealous of, she promised. I won't date anyone else while I'm dating you, I swear, and I certainly hope you're doing the same. Of course not. I told you, he trailed off, glancing at Harry. Well, I think that's my cue to leave, Harry said diplomatically. Draco, quiet word before I go? Harry led him over to the corner of the tiny apartment and whispered something in his ear that made Draco go white before Harry gave Hermione a wink and apparated away. What did he say? she asked curiously. Partly congratulations on being the man to win your heart fair and square and partly a threat for if I hurt you in any way. He said he'd heard of my interest in opera and told me I'd have a fine future singing castrato if I hurt you and that every aura on the force would swear for him that he'd acted in self-defence, Draco said nervously. You know, when we break up, I think you're going to have to make sure I don't look like the bad guy. Oh, I thought you could just cheat on me with Astoria. Done. No, 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 he objected, waving his hand in the air in a frantic denial. Not after what Potter just said. I know what castrato means, Hermione. I researched opera. No, it'll have to be you falling for someone else. Or the two of us just amicably deciding that things aren't working out. Or that you want to focus on your career. Something like that. All right. We'll decide the details later. Something that won't get Harry mad at you, she promised. She didn't really like to think about it. Enacting step ten in her plan was a problem for later. So I guess you're not really sick then? Not at all. It was just an excuse to get out of Ginny's hen night. Draco stalked towards her, a gleam in his eye. All alone, then? No one else expected to visit, I hope? My parents won't expect me home for another hour, here to fuss over an invalid. No, no one else should be visiting, she said a little nervously. Did you want to spend some time together? Did you? I suppose she said uncertainly. If you want to. Let me show you how much I want to. He purred and led her willingly to her bed. I want to find out how loud you can get. Ah, uh, just in case we get carried away, she said nervously. I want you to know that I'm on the pill. The what? It's a muggle medicine that prevents pregnancy. A tiny tablet I take every day. Ron favoured charms, but I switched after I left him. I like the reliability of predicting my periods, she babbled. She didn't want to say, I was thinking about sleeping with you. I've been thinking about it for some time now. How reliable is this muggle pill? He asked with a frown. 99% effective. Only one woman in a hundred using this method for a year will fall pregnant. It's not completely reliable, but very close to perfect. It's one of the best non-permanent options available. I don't mind if you want to use a charm as well, if it comes to that. Not that it will, right? He nodded. Right. 
well, should we get carried away, a quick spell is still a good idea. But this method sounds more reliable anyway. What? Well, about one in four women will get pregnant in a year, even with the spells. Of course, it depends on the competency of the willpower of the caster. And if you're sensible enough to cast it before the act or not, afterwards it won't do as much as good, of course. One in four, she yelled, outraged. Ron told me it was a sure thing. Draco laughed, and Hermione turned on him furiously. Don't punish the messenger, he said defensively with a low chuckle. I was just thinking that that's why there were so many Weasley spawns. His parents didn't even know what they were doing. It's not funny, she said sulkily. They could have ended up pregnant. Trapped. Draco's laugh died down, and he wrapped an arm around her shoulder, pulling her into a comforting hug. I'm sorry, that would have been dreadful. I hate Ron just that little bit more now, she said angrily. And Dumbledore. Why him? You're not saying, he said with a look of wide-eyed revulsion. Ew, no, don't be disgusting. I meant his headmaster. He should have ensured the students receive sex education about how babies are made, puberty, contraception, that sort of thing. Draco still looked appalled. That's just not proper. Such things are the responsibility of the parents to handle with tact and discretion. The school shouldn't presume to absurd that rule. Oh, so my parents, the dentist, should have told me about the efficiency and failure rates of the Barnes hex and the infertility charm. Oh, well, I suppose you have a point there. Perhaps a teacher or senior student should have talked to Muddlebones. McGonagall, Snape, you, Mr. Prefect, can you see yourself counselling young wizards and witches about sexual diseases? Draco shuddered in an overly dramatic fashion at all those suggestions. Point? Well, perhaps Professor Sprout. She seemed an earthly mother type. Oh yes, I can just see her now, explaining how to go about properly sucking a man's cock, and the importance of preparation before having anal sex, probably using a metaphor involving rosebuds. Draco blinked very slowly. You have scarred me mentally for life. I hope you know that, he said dryly. Hermione giggled. You started it. Well, what do you think they should have done for you lot then? Books. What a shock. Hermione Granger would have loved to have a book to read, or possibly some very naughty parchments, with illustrations and technical diagrams of what goes where. Hermione laughed and poked him in the ribs until he joined her in her laughter. They rolled around on her maroon bedsheets, grappling for a while, before she grabbed her hands to stop her tickling, pinning her beneath him. Hermione, he whispered, kissing her gently. Yes, Draco. I'm going to ravish you now, if that's all right with you. It's a very polite kind of ravishing. He grinned at her. That's the best kind. Letting her hands go free, he ran a hand up her leg, under her robe, and she sighed with pleasure as his fingers ran over her inner thigh, evoking a shiver of pleasure. Draco... You're wearing too much. He sat up on the bed and pulled his robe off, leaving him wearing nothing but the odd-looking short button-up linen breeches that Ron had also favoured, the traditional wizarding equivalent of underwear. Draco looked at her anxiously as her eyes widened, 
She trailed a hand over his smooth, hairless chest and traced the three large, raised pink scars that ran diagonally across it. Is it... I know it's not pretty, he said. Voldemort? she asked softly. Harry, actually, he said stiffly. But admittedly, I was trying to curse him at the time. Not my finest moment. Oh, the Sectumsemperor. I thought that wasn't supposed to scar. Maybe if I'd gone to St Mungo's it wouldn't have, but I didn't want any auras looking into the details of our fight too closely. Madame Pomfrey did what she could. Hermione leant down and kissed his chest, and he let out a shuddering sigh. I have my own scars, she said, and summoning up her Gryffindor courage, she swiftly took off her own robe to hold out her arms for him, to see the patchwork of multiple pink and white lines crisscrossing her arms. It's why I prefer long sleeves most of the time. These are from your aunt. With only a brief irresistible glance at her breasts and their lacy bra, he picked up her arms one by one and laid a few gentle kisses on each patch of scars. Hermione pointed to some more scars on her body. This one on my side's from the Whomping Willow in third year. It didn't seem too bad a cut, so I didn't get it seen to you in time to stop it scarring. There's a few small scars from the final battle. Cutting curses, mostly. Oh, and the one on my left leg is from a shattered bit of sink that hit me in first year when the boys were fighting the troll. Each mark got its own gentle kiss. And this, he said, tracing his fingers down a livid purple mark that ran from the underside of her right breast and down her chest to the left side of her stomach. Antonin Dolohov, in the Department of Mysteries at the end of fifth year. It still aches whenever I get too overheated. Some kind of dark flame curse, they said. This is the best the healers could do. It's stable. You're lucky to be alive, he said gravely. He turned his left arm out for her to see the dark mark branded there on the inside of his forearm. She looked at it curiously. It's faded, sort of reddish-pink. I thought they were black. Black when he was active. Fading, now he's gone. I'm not going to kiss that one. I wouldn't expect you to. Maybe kiss somewhere else, he suggested optimistically, trying to lighten the mood with their slightly macabre session of show-and-tell all finished. She started with his mouth and then moved on to his neck, finding him just as responsive there as she was. He didn't like her toying with his nipples, though, and squirmed away uncomfortably at that. Sorry, I always like it, she said apologetically and kissed her way down his belly instead. His fingers clenched in her hair, pushing her head softly downwards, and she mouthed his penis through his breeches, lips soft on the outside of the fabric. He let out a guttural groan of pleasure. Oh, yes, please, he moaned. More, Hermione. Merlin, please, more. Her fingers toyed slowly with the buttons, and he impatiently took over, and he did the last one and pushed his breeches down and threw them on her floor carelessly. He's so beautiful, she thought, as her hands roamed all over his body, as she settled down to lie next to him on the bed. She peeked curiously at his average size but very attractive cock. The foreskin had retracted almost the whole way back, he was so hard, leaving the head of the penis exposed and leaking a bit of pre-cum. The scars on his chest aside, his skin was creamy white and unmarred by so much as a single freckle. She'd seen enough of those to last a lifetime. His body was lean and lightly muscled. 
Ron had been starting to put on a little chub around the belly from too many pies and not enough exercise. He hadn't kept up with Quidditch practice the way Draco still did, and he didn't have the excuse of being a growing boy any longer. Determined not to think about her ex any longer, Hermione wrapped her hand around Draco's cock and started sliding her hands slowly up and down. Draco, meanwhile, was kissing at her exposed cleavage, while his hands crept behind her back to fumble with her bra clasp, eventually settling her breasts free from their lacy prison. His mouth dove straight to one nipple, sucking it enthusiastically and causing her to squeeze his cock a little too tightly for a moment before her rhythmic pumping resumed. He switched to the other nipple, leaving the first a hard peak, covered wetly in a thin sheen of saliva. His fingers toyed with the hard little nub while he suckled on the other to excited firmness. His head rolled to the side, tugging the nipple with a sharp twinge that was more pleasure than pain, and his blue-grey eyes stared into her own. Draco Malfoy is sucking on my nipple, she said wonderingly, not entirely meaning to say it out loud. It was so strange. At school, she would have never thought in a million years that she would be doing such a thing with him. His lips, still latched onto her breasts, curved up in a smile, the corners of his eyes crinkling with amusement. His hand crept downwards, pushing underneath the elastic of her sensible black cotton underwear, she hated lace undies, and dove into the damp curls, hunting for her clitoris. A little lower. Ah, no, up. There. Yes. But it's too dry, she said plainly. His fingers ran across her moist entrance, making her shudder with pleasure, before returning to her clitoris and starting to massage it in gentle circles. Faster! No, not that fast! A little harder. Good, she murmured. Keep up the circling for now. His mouth popped off her nipple and he grinned at her. Bossy in bed as well of out of it, I see. Can't you just lie back and enjoy it? I am enjoying it, she protested. He laughed before he resumed his enthusiastic attentions to her breasts. While it took him a while to learn exactly the speed and style she demanded, eventually his persistent compliance, an occasional stubborn innovation, yielded results, and worked her to a fever pitch of excitement. Her hand fell away from his cock as she grabbed at the sheets and enjoyed the sensations. Oh God, Draco, use your mouth. Please, I'm begging you. Well, since you're begging, he said, sounding wickedly pleased. When he moved down to lick and suck at her clitoris, she orgasmed with a loud, low scream of pleasure. He didn't stop there, though, and she moaned and gasped as the aftershocks rippled through her body, and he pushed two fingers inside her wetly clenching cunt, feeling her vaginal walls squeezing around his fingers tightly as he thrust them in and out of her. Her hands were clenched in the bedsheets, his poor weeping cock long since forgotten. That! It was magnificent, she panted. Why, thank you, my dear, he purred, wiping off his mouth with the back of his hand as he lay down next to her again. Now perhaps it's my turn? Oh, yes, she said enthusiastically. I believe you said something about grabbing my hair while I sucked you off? How good of you to remember, he said playfully, and let out a deep hiss of pleasure as she knelt awkwardly over his legs and sucked his hard cock deep into her warm, wet mouth. It didn't take long until his hands were indeed making a dreadful mess of her hair, while his back arched as he spilled his seed into her mouth, 
and she spluttered and choked a little as he thrust too hard in the throes of passion, sperm dribbling out from the corners of her mouth. He didn't seem to mind, though, and truth be told, neither did she. It seems odd, mused Draco distractedly, lying in the bed afterwards with her head resting on his shoulder, one of her arms stretching across her bare stomach to gently stroke her hip and buttock, and his legs entwined massively with hers. Potter, the noble, muggle-loving hero, letting himself be caught with a love potion by that ginger-haired harpy, has he no self-respect? Why doesn't he leave her? Professor Snape often accused him of being arrogant, but it has always been very much the opposite. He's always felt his life and happiness was so much less valuable than anyone else's. It's part of what makes him so brave and self-sacrificing, and yes, noble, but it's not healthy, sighed Hermione. He knows staying with her will make Ginny happy, and all the rest of the Weasley family too. His own happiness comes a distant second to him compared to that, and I can't talk him out of it. He cares about her, but not as much as she cares for him. He doesn't believe he can do better or deserves better, and he wants kids. She didn't tell Draco about Harry's theory about his mother being dosed with love potions when she was conceived. That wasn't her secret to tell, and certainly not to a Malfoy no matter how pleasant a partner he was at the moment. If I said I also believe he would deserve as better than the Weaselet, I hope you would understand that it merely stems from my great dislike of the whole Weasel clan and their scheming ways, not out of some sickening hero worship for him personally. Don't worry, Hermione said dryly. I won't accidentally credit you with any noble impulses. He laughed at her witticism, and she quietly did delighted in being someone with enough intelligence to get her sarcastic humour without needing an explanation or apology. Ron has usually demanded both. He's not a muggle lover, she said conversationally, as she stroked the fine, thin, downy patch of hair on Draco's chest, so pale it was almost invisible. Boo. Harry, you called him a muggle-loving hero, but he's not Dumbledore. Though, frankly, I think that man's reputation for being pro-Muggle rights was overstated, too. Harry wants nothing to do with the Muggle world. He never has, ever since he came to Hogwarts. Draco was peering at her suspiciously, watching her face for tells that she was lying, looking like he was waiting for the punchline to a very strange joke. Harry Potter, the Chosen One, the man who conquered, sworn enemy of the Dark Lord and all blood purist, doesn't like Muggles. Not really. He might not say so to the press, of course, but the instant he could cut ties to the muggle world and never look back, he did. He fought Voldemort because he was a madman who killed his parents, wanted to kill him, and posed a significant threat to the wizarding world, especially non-pure bloods, she said, ticking the points off, and a raised finger she listed them. Not because of Voldemort's anti-muggle idealisation agenda. Harry actually approved of that part, not that he ever wanted to talk about it. Obviously he couldn't be seen to agree with anything Voldemort said. Draco thought about it for a moment, before accepting the new information, and striving to find a way to sink it into his worldview, so it wouldn't disturb that placid pool of beliefs too much with any significant ripples. Well, of course he'd prefer the wizarding world, said Draco eventually. Who wouldn't? I suppose the Dark Lord was a significant threat to all of us, even those who nominally supported him, like my family. We didn't have much choice not to, you know. At the end, I wouldn't... 
I understand. My family was at risk. We can all feel forced to do things we'd rather not to protect them. He rubbed at his forearm, at the faded brand of cowardice and forced civility that he'd never be rid of as long as he lived. Yes. You understand more than most, then. I knew you did, from what Mother told us you said in defence of her. Most Gryffindors still keep insisting I should have stood up to Voldemort earlier, that death would have been better than servitude. Most Gryffindors are idiots, of course. You've always been an exception to that. His roundabout compliment of her intelligence warmed her. She couldn't remember Ron lying in bed with her, complimenting her on anything except her body. It was a nice change. After a moment of quiet contemplation, lying together in quiet companionship, as Draco traced lazy lines with his fingertips across the smooth skin on her bottom, she softly admitted, I don't know what to say to Harry to convince him to leave her. Are you asking me for her advice? he asked, pale eyebrows arching in disbelief. I suppose so. Who else can I ask? No one's supposed to know about it. I promised Harry. You're just too sneaky a guesser, and all my ideas so far have failed. Harry's just unpersuadable. It's good you've decided to turn on someone's superior breeding for advice, then, he said with a sly smile, and laughed as she hit him gently with a pillow. I wish I had an easy answer for you, but the truth is you can't make someone make the smart choice. All you can do is be ready to help them when things go wrong. I'll send you the details of my family's lawyer. You should encourage him to sort out his will, and of course to draft the wedding contract carefully, so she won't get much, if or when he leaves her. If she's only in it for the money, that might scare her off. I can do that, I guess. It might be worth a try. Yes, that's a good idea, she said with a decisive nod. Maybe Ginny was only in it for the money. She said she loved him, but that could be a lie. Aren't you worried I'll go running to Skeeter with an exclusive about the Chosen One's emotional state and sad relationship? I could ruin him with this, he said with a wicked gleam in his eye. He won't, she said confidently. Ginny might be ruined, and frankly, if she was, I'd delighted in that. But while Harry would be furious, he'd come out of it all right in the end. And you know your family's position is still too tenuous to risk your reputation. Besides, Skeeter wouldn't write it. I thought you'd either burst into a rather attractive ranting fury at my words, or perhaps insist I'm too kind-hearted to do such a thing. How fascinating you are, Hermione. A woman of surprising depth. And how can you be so sure they wouldn't publish? Money talks, and I am amply supplied with that. It would barely be necessity, with a juicy gossip in that case. Money talks, but not louder than blackmail, Hermione grinned. The Skeeter won't write a word I disapprove of, but she knows the price. You have blackmail material on Skeeter, Draco echoed with surprised delight. His eyes darkened as she rolled over and grabbed both her wrists, pushing her down to pin her on the bed. You naughty, naughty little snake, he purred, catching her lips with a passionate kiss that took her breath away. Oh, you Machiavellian minx! Such a goody two-shoes at school in the Golden Trio. Look at you now. I just looked like a goody two-shoes in school, she said achingly. We only got into trouble for less than half the stuff we did. Mm -hmm.